Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and today in this episode, we're chatting with Wayne Wolf, game designer and owner of Solid Rock Games. He's also a professor of animal science. Dwayne's newest title, Union Stockyard, Chicago, Illinois, is currently on Kickstarter. Dwayne, welcome to the binge. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, James. Oh, it is it is awesome having you. We just said uh, off air um, that uh, I actually worked for a meat company for like 11 years here in Canada. So as soon as I saw a game that was based on kind of the packing industry, of course, it pulled me in right away. I'm like, oh, what's this all about? And it's such a unique theme to have, I think, in this uh, in this industry, which is cool because it's it's good to have kind of new ideas and concepts and come at board games from different possible angles. And this is a new one for me. So uh, congrats on that. Definitely a unique theme. Yeah. And congrats on the campaign too. You've already funded, which is exciting. I'm sure you got to be pretty pumped about that, eh? Very pumped. Yep. Very exciting. Funded in the first few hours. So that was exciting. <laughs> so you, you're now, you're a professor of animal science. And I think I saw on your bio that you've been, your professor, is it now three universities at the same time, or you've been a professor over the years across three different universities? How's that work? So I, I started my professor career at the, the Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. And then most of my career, I was at South Dakota State University. Okay. And I'm currently at the University of Arizona. So, wow. And then what specifically are you teaching in animal sciences? Like, what, what's kind of your focus? I'm specifically teaching meat science. So, everything about meat quality and food safety and processing. And, yep. uh, and so, you must be tied pretty closely into the food industry, then, are you as well? Or, yep. No, I, and I haven't been a professor my whole career. I spent 10 years in Mexico and we started a meat processing plant there as well as a restaurant and a cattle ranch and i've oh, also wow. worked uh you know before i got my phd i worked in the industry i worked uh, i first worked in a packing plant that slaughtered a thousand pigs an hour and wow. i was actually on the line i was just with a knife in my hand starting at the lowest level you know and so i've worked all the way from the, uh, the production level uh as a labor on the line um, yeah to, to quality. I've worked for another company in quality control and I worked for a small German processor in downtown Denver, Colorado. It's amazing. This industry. Uh, I mean, then it's been over a decade since I've, I've worked in, in the meat industry, but the nostalgia when I, when I was kind of looking at the game playthroughs and, and some of the things like that. And, you know, I think it's one of those industries that is, is probably misunderstood by a lot of people. Right. And, and, and how, um, I guess advanced I would say it is in North America, right? Like I think the, the visuals some people have of, you know, processing facilities is, you know, something out of a, out of a horror movie and, and, but it, it really is, um, uh, quite advanced the technology, uh, in, uh, you know, on, on how we process animals here, at least in North America and just the standards that are employed in North America, I think are, 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 are quite impressive. Is, is that, is that fair to say? I mean, we've come just a long way since the union stockyards days <laughs> yeah. and it's yeah. It, the industry today is, you know, has so much focus on food safety, sanitation, worker safety, ergonomics, you know, and the animal as well. So, you know, a lot of focus has been placed on the animal, the workers and the end product and, 
and it is a fascinating industry and it's really it's really huge really in the u.s it represents six percent of the gross domestic product that's a huge segment holy oh yeah of of economy and of people that it employs now in i mean you're in this your prior game was called pedigree which also funded um, so clearly animals is, uh, is a theme that is uh, very close and near and dear to your heart, given that you've got so much experience in, in this industry. How did this bridge happen between board gaming and, uh, you know, meat science? Was this like, were you, were you always board gaming and then you just kind of pivoted or how did that all come, come about? Yeah, I, I mean, in general, I like board games, regardless of their theme, I'm looking for good games. Yeah. The ones I make, I'm going to make about themes that that I know about and that I enjoy. But uh, obviously, I, I own a hundred games, and and they're not just about they're all about all different things. Sure. But I started, I started, I grew up on a farm in Minnesota, and I was the tenth of eleven children, so we had a big family. Oh all we did was work and and eat and sleep and go to school and go to church, and that's about it. And you never had any time for anything else. I mean, if you ever had time, we we played games. And so that was a big childhood memory. That was what I always looked forward to was, was playing games. And that's the only thing I ever did fun with my dad. My dad was always about working. Oh, yeah. And uh, the only time I ever did anything fun with him was, was playing games. And I wonder now sometimes if that's somewhere in my psyche that, because my dad's been gone for quite a while now, and maybe it's like programmed in me that that was my connection with my dad. Anyway, so then I went on to college and I got into cards and I played cards for years all through college. And a lot of my professor career play eventually worked up to bridge, which is the ultimate card game, I think. Yeah. But I knew I wanted to design this animal breeding game because I was really fascinated with genetics. When I was in grad school, I took a population genetics class and was just real fascinated with, with genetics. And I, I thought that would really make a good board game. And I, one game I played with my dad a lot, probably the favorite one was Masterpiece. I don't know if you remember that back in the, I mean, it was, I think it was in the seventies that it was, it was published by Parker brothers or yeah, probably. And anyway, it was like an auction game and you didn't know the value of the painting until you bought the painting and you looked underneath and oh, um, it had a random value. This one so it was kind of like animal breeding, which you didn't really know the genetics of the animal until you actually bred it. So I always thought that would be a cool mechanic. And I just had that in the back of my mind from a long time ago and never got, you know, just never sat down. And then in 2013, it was actually when we were living in Mexico and I had some time and I thought, uh, I'm gonna start designing that game. I'm gonna, I wasn't called pedigree. I was gonna start designing that animal breeding game. And so I started working on it a couple of years. And then actually I bought some books and on game design and read those. Then I started looking at for finding YouTube videos mm. on game design. And that led me in. And then I discovered BGG and I discovered you, uh, board game reviews and I, this whole world that I never knew existed. I had played Catan, which was a lot of people's gateway games, but I didn't really, that didn't really trip me. I don't really like trading. So I guess I don't like trading in games and negotiating. Yeah. So I, I wasn't too enthralled with Catan, but then I started finding about all these other games and, and really my games that hooked me were um, in 2015 or 16, I think they came out, Terraforming Mars mm -hmm. and Scythe and Isle of Sky, I think were my first three 
modern games that I purchased and just like played till I wore them out. And then I, that's kind of got me into it. And so then I, I was kind of in the middle of designing pedigree at that point. So then that really, once I started getting exposed to modern games, it really, you know, helped dramatically improve the design of, oh, yeah. of pedigree. How did that tie into uh, like Kickstarter? So what was the leap from, okay, I'm working on this. Like, cause I, I imagine the first game you're working on, was there the thought of publishing that first game or was it more the idea of I want to create this game because it's a cool idea I have. And then once you had that realizing there's this whole, you know, crowd funding platform out there, then it's like, okay, let me see if I can take a run at Kickstarter. How did that kind of come together? Well, I mean, it was definitely a different approach with pedigree than with union stockyards because pedigree, I would, I saw that as a game and I still do. That's, that's more of a family weight game. It has some luck in it. You, and but it's geared to the people that like that theme you know there's a ton of people out there that are really into breeding their favorite yeah. breed of pigs or dogs or cattle whatever and it's really and you know showing them and in, in the show ring and it's really geared towards that crowd people that like the theme um and so i you know i had a lot of a lot of people that i knew that were wanting me to publish it and so that's kind of how i put it on Kickstarter. Whereas with Union Stockyards, I tried, you know, I've since played, you know, hundreds and yeah, every game I can, I can play, especially economic games, which I really enjoy. So I've come a long way in my knowledge of mechanics and, and design skills. And so I, I think this game will appeals to, to board gamers. And of course it appeals to people that are interested in the theme, but it'll, yeah. even if you ignore the theme of Union Stockyards and if you're a Euro gamer or economic gamer, um, I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, you know, it's that that I'm not sure if it's a common adage, but it's like if you if you want to design games, play a lot of games, right? That's kind yeah. of you know the advice you give to people that um, you know if if you're a budding uh, game designer and you want to know how to go about creating a good game, first step is to play a lot of games and as many different types of games as you can. Great way to do that is you know local meetups and so forth. Um, you know, playing other game, people's games and so forth. But it really does let you look at this from a completely different angle and uh, come at it maybe with some fresh eyes than kind of your initial four-way into the, into the industry, right? Yeah. Was Stock Ticker, like one thing I, I, like I know that your game has nothing to do with Stock Ticker. It's not even close, but that early economic type, you know, gameplay from the seventies. Is that something you guys played as a kid? And has that ever kind of been a little whisper in the back of your mind as you've kind of continued on or. I've always been fascinated with markets and yeah. stocks and commodities both. And so I'm interested in, and I've played, you know, every game, every game I can find that has some kind of market mechanism that's driven by supply and demand or random. I mean, there's, you know, stockpile is a, I really like stockpile as a stock game and, it's totally dice that, not dice, but cards yeah. um, that determine randomly which stocks are going up and down. And it's still, a, it's still a great game, but I wanted to design a game that where it wasn't luck that determined, you know, yeah. it was the actual player's decisions that determine the market swings. And therefore you could influence the market by, you know, the actions that you took. And sometimes you might take a sub optimal action just because it's going to benefit the market for you better in the long term. Yeah. And that's that's the real that's kind of the hook that I think or the unique thing about 
the mechanics that I have in there that that's what I was looking for. Why this, this area of, of the, like why Chicago, why this time period, like in the video, by the way, anybody that goes to the space, check out that opening video. It is cool how you start off with the history of the Chicago stockyards. Right. And I mean, I was, I was like, maybe I should take some notes. I'm actually learning some stuff here right, about our history. Uh, but you know, that it was the, one of the largest, well, it was the largest at the time, right. Uh, meat processing um, uh, area in the world. Um, what, what drew you to that history or that specific time period, that specific spot for this particular game? It's the largest place that ever existed and ever will exist. And nothing is even close to that. Yeah. I remember, so I majored in my undergrad was in animal science and I remember I was at South Dakota State University and I went on it. We were, we toured, a, or not toured, but we were at a contest at Iowa State University. And I remember in their animal science building, they had this huge picture on the wall, like probably, you know, six feet across, an aerial photo of the stockyards in Chicago. And it said the Great Union Stockyard. And I was like, wow, I can't believe that anything like that even existed. Because at that time, Sioux Falls, which because I was in South Dakota, so Sioux Falls, South Dakota had a stockyards that still was in operation. And we went there numerous times for different classes and, and such. And I had been with my dad to places like that, but no place like, like this. I mean, at that time, it no longer existed in Chicago when I saw that photo, but it, it was like amazing. So from that point on, I kind of started doing research on it. And then I really upped my research in the last few years as I was designing this game. It's just a super unique place in history that was exactly one square mile yeah. and a, mi a million animals went through there a month and 40,000 workers worked in that. It was called the busiest square mile on earth. A half a million visitors would come visit it just to see it a year. And, and it was, and then, you know, with the advent of refrigeration and interstate highways, you know, we've decentralized meat processing and so no place will ever exist like that again yeah when did it finally close it closed in 1971 okay. but at that point um it didn't have very many very much processing going on there it was still it, it was dramatically diminished in the number of livestock and it was mostly serving as a market because not all them animals that went through the union stockyards died there i mean some of them yeah. just were sold it's a it's a transact. The stockyards is an independent company and people trade livestock there. So most of them did stay in Chicago and were slaughtered there, but a lot of them then were sold to other places. So that part of the business still continued even after the Packers had moved out of Chicago, which probably occurred like in the fifties and probably most of the Packers were moving out of Chicago. Uh, so the history is, is, is just awesome on my screen. I'm actually sharing uh, your page. I was wondering if you could, and using just descriptive language for people that are just listening and not watching, explain kind of how this game plays kind of the overall essence of, of playing this game. Over six rounds, which we call years, because at the beginning of each round, you flip a year card and that year card will have an actual historic event and so it'll have a thematic response uh, effect on the game. Mm -hmm. It'll either have a new action that's available for that year only, or it'll have an effect that affects the whole year. And there's six, there's, you only use six year cards, but they're randomly chosen from a deck of 24. Okay. So 
every game is different because you have different events. But then the crux of each round is a worker placement is, is the crux is the main mechanic. It's just mostly standard worker placement. And that's not really the focus of the game is, I mean, that, that's how you choose your actions, but really the focus of the game is the market. Um, the market, uh, you have cattle, hogs, and sheep, and they each have a price and they are independent of each other, but they're the same for all players. So throughout the game, the price of cattle may go up or down. The price of hogs may go up and down and the price of sheep might go up and down, but then you each have your unique meat price for each of those. And that is unique to you as a player. So each player can increase their beef or their pork or their lamb price based on their actions they do in the game. One of the main ones is that you're building buildings. Mm. Uh, like if you build the lard refinery, then you're adding value to your pork because you have a use for the fat, for example. Uh, if you build a hair factory, now you can make uh, upholstery out of pig hair and you're increasing value to your pigs, things like that. So you're increasing your uh, uh, your margin, your profit margin. But that profit margin can be lost as fast as you've increased it. If somebody hoses you on the market and the price of hogs go way up, you just lost all your margin, and you have to work to get that down. And hopefully, in the in the future, so that market is really at the crux. So at the end of the year, so there's a certain number of animal meeples in each available to purchase each year. Okay, and then the main main central mechanic then is at the end of the year you look at the amount of meeples that are left on the board how many cattle how many hogs and how many sheep and whatever there's the least of which means you've purchased the most of them yeah whatever there's the least remaining is going to go up in price three three spots up and whatever there's the most of is going to go down in price so let's say you're taking an action towards the end of the year and and they're equal animal numbers you could you can really affect that market based on which one you purchase. Oh, interesting. Like if you purchase sheep, then you're going to cause sheep to go up for the next year or pigs or whatever you do. Yeah. So that, so that, that's the deal. And I was watching a video, um, uh, Daniel Radcliffe uh, from uh, board game co again, one of the, <laughs> if, if you're not following on follow him, he's got great content, uh, but just the way he describes games is so good. And the way he was describing this game was, was just awesome. And I was like, wow. And it does that. And it does that. So there's like, um, you know, you can, you can purchase land. Right. And then, so when you're building these buildings, I guess, and people have, it makes uh, building that building either cheaper for you, or if other people want to build buildings and have to go on your land, you can make income from that. Um, there is a union element where you've got workers that are potentially going to strike and you can do different things to try to, uh, to, to minimize that. Um, and then there's this uh, political element to it as well, right? Can you, can you talk a little bit about the political element and how that works? There's a lot of aspects I haven't explained, but uh, yeah, and you're, you're, you're hitting them there, right? But yeah, there's so there's a party in office, either the Democrat or Republican Party is in office, and that's yeah. randomly determined at the start of the game. You just flip the token and whichever party is up is in office. But then that can change during the game based if you com- if you take the campaign action. So it's a worker placement game. So there's an advantage to being first player. And if you want to be first player, you choose the campaign action. And if you campaign, you get the, at the end of the year, you get the first player token and you get to choose who wins the election. Mm. So you determine the action space that's available for the, for the upcoming year. Because if the Republicans are in office, it a lot, there's a little more powerful business expansion action. Uh, and if the Democrats are in, in office, you can 
keep your workers happier um, with the, the, their available action. So it, it changes the changes the flavor of the year a little bit depending on who's in office. And then and, and why do you why do you need to keep your workers happy? Because they can go on strike. So there's a union spirit track. <laughs> and if that gets up to it starts at one and goes up to five, if it gets up to four, um, then there'll be a strike and you'll lose one of your workers. Everybody will lose one of your workers for the year. And that a worker's in action. So that's a big deal. Oh yeah. Um, and and you also gain your morale goes down every time there's a strike. And if your morale is too low at the end of the game, it'll really you'll lose the game basically if your morale is too low. So you have to keep this balance. There's this tension and this balance between keeping your workers happy and getting what you getting your business done because yeah. you're really trying to grow your business and win the game. So you don't want to take those actions to keep your workers happy, but if you don't, you won't win the game. There's a lot of stuff in this game, and I'll, I'll use a pun here. It's a very beefy game, right? So it, it, there's a lot of stuff. And I was two things I was surprised is one is that the the playtime wasn't as long as I thought it was going to be, which was a good thing, right? Because often I find the older I've got, the less time I have to actually sit and and play games. You've got this playing between 45 and 90 minutes. Is that based on it only being six rounds, or or how do you keep it that tight? and you have a certain number of workers it's it's not a so it is a worker placement game but it has a, it has some uh, i'll get back to that but just to specifically answer your question uh yeah you have a set number of workers and a set number of rounds so it's pretty consistent a two-player game will be 45 to an hour mm. and a three-player game will be an hour to an hour 15 and a four will be an hour to hour and a half and a five will be close to that hour and a half so it's a pretty it's a pretty quick pace. Yeah, that's great. But I was gonna say about the worker placement, like a lot of worker placement games, you gain another worker throughout. You don't you don't do that here. You can lose workers, but you can't <laughs> gain anymore. Um, and the other unique thing about it is a lot of worker placement games, you're are resource resource management. Like you're trying to get wood, and you're trying to get stone, and you're trying to get, you know different things in order to complete an order or build a building where there's no resource management in this game. Your only resource is cash. And that's the only thing you're doing. So all your worker placement spaces are to increase your profit margin and to grow your business. And then there's this exclusive uh, miniature you're including with the Kickstarters, which is like literally the stockyard gate, which look, I got on screen here. looks, looks awesome. Um, Is, is that, actually a playable piece in the game or how does that, how does that, that piece work? That's your first play marker. Yeah. So in the standard retail edition, it'll, it'll be a punch out. It'll be the stockyards mm. gate, but just a cardboard punch out. But for the Kickstarter backers, you get the, you get the 3d miniature. So it's also kind of thematic because if you're the first player, you're the first one through the gate in the morning. Right. So. Mm-hmm. And, and that, so that was leading to my, my second kind of uh, comment about the, uh, the amount of stuff in, in the game um, I was surprised that um, the cost wasn't that high, relatively speaking. Um, what what are some of the things you've done to keep this cost kind of down? Like to me, sixty seven for all the stuff you're getting in this game seems a bit low, uh, but I'm sure there's some thoughts you might have on explaining that. Yeah, well, we you there's no mold, there's no plastic miniatures other than that one Kickstarter exclusive, mm. and everything is wood, which is. Uh, less expensive but also i prefer in this type of game i actually prefer the chunkiness 
uh, of the wood components. Yeah. And I really, I really don't like a mixture of wood and plastic as much. I like it to be all plastic or all wood. I mean, we do have the plastic miniature, but that's not on the board with the, everything on the board in this game is wood. So you have wooden meeples, wooden, I mean, wooden workers, wooden animals, wooden buildings, and the buildings are all different shapes. So that, uh, you know, that keeps it, that keeps it down. But we also didn't want to, you know, for our Kickstarter backers, we're giving a lower price than the, than the retail. And, and I think the retail, the MSRP is going to be real. I don't, I don't think yeah. it's inflated. It's, that's really what it, I expected to sell at, at retail. So yeah. trying to give a, uh, a deal to the Kickstarter backers. Yeah, it seems like a lot of good value there. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, Andrew Bosley is the uh, illustrator on this uh, game. Very, very talented guy. Obviously, uh, people uh, that follow Andrew uh, know his work. And quite frankly, I know he has people that just buy his titles, <laughs> right? So he's got people actually starting to collect uh, Bosley uh, works. So uh, this is no exception. It, uh, he did an amazing, amazing job on this. So kudos to him on that what's what's next like is it the um is it animals for your next game or do you have other game ideas or kind of where do you where do you go from here I always have other game ideas i try to i really try not to focus on too many things at once um but i have other ideas written down and i you know i'm a lot more as i've grown as a game designer i'm more uh uh I have a system. I have more of a system. So I write down from the game. These are my goals of the game. This is what I want it to be. And then work towards that. So I have some other ones written down. I have them written out. I have, I think I'd like to create a gamer's version of pedigree mm. with less luck. And like Union Stockyards has very little luck. It's yeah. it's mostly skill. Whereas pedigree is kind of a half and half deal. So I that's one idea is to uh redo pedigree into a, a gamer's version but i also have other ideas but um like i said i i want to make great games i make themes that i'm interested in yeah. i'm sure i could take the mechanics from union stock cards and probably get a lot more backers and a lot more sales if i picked a different theme sure but i'm interested in it and i like it well i, I think that there's a bit of a double-edged sword, right? So you can mm -hmm. go with a, a theme that maybe more people are familiar with or more people are attracted to, but the chances of it getting lost in the shuffle, I think are higher. Like he doesn't have the uniqueness you have here. Like this is very mm -hmm. unique, right? There, there's, there's only kind of one game like this. That's your game, right? Um, and so I think that brings um, a lot of specialness to it that helps it last, I think, gives it more legs, so to speak, than maybe some of these other titles that... Uh, it's easy just to say, let's slap a space theme on it or, you know, X, Y, Z theme. But you know, you've really kind of taken a very specific topic, a very specific moment in history and, and built into this game thematically, which I think is pretty cool. If people want to follow you along your journey, so as you're working on these other ideas and so forth, do you have like a general uh, social media account that people follow or, or how do they do that? You find me on Board Game Geek at okay. Dwayne Wolf. Uh, is is my name on there and at uh, on facebook is the union stockyards board game and we also have union stockyards game.com as a website nice and if they want to see this on tabletop simulator i believe as well right yeah it's on tabletop simulator yep oh that's awesome well Dwayne, i want to just congratulate you again on this uh this has been awesome for those who are interested in this game i'm going to put links in the show notes so they can easily find it 
you know, just type in Union Stockyard. It pops up on Kickstarter as well. Uh, it's currently, I'm going to put this in Canadian dollars because it always is larger and it's the only way I can see it. $68,000 on a goal of $18,000. So uh, still 10 days to go with that back end hockey stick. So I'm thinking this is probably going to crack at least 100, uh, at least in Canadian dollars. So congrats on that. That is amazing. And uh, I want to wish you all the best success in this coming year. Thanks for having me. Take care. Cheers. See ya. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.